Chapter Five of Bow Brocade by Baroness Emma Orksey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. There's none like her, none. There was something more than ordinary affection between Philip, Earl of Stratton, and his sister, Lady Patience Gascoigne. Those who knew them in the days of their happiness said they seemed more like lovers than brother and sister so tender so true was their clinging devotion to one another but those who knew them both intimately said that they were more like mother and son together though philip was only a year or two younger than patience she had all a mother's fondness a mother's indulgence and sweet pity for him he all a son's deference a son's trust in her even now as he instinctively felt her dear presence nigh hope took a more firm more lasting hold upon him he knew that she would act wisely and prudently for him for the first time for many days and weeks he felt safe less morbidly afraid of treachery more ready to fight adverse fate the heavy coach came lumbering along the quaggy road the old coachman's woa woa there there as he tried to encourage his horses in the heavy task of pulling the cumbersome vehicle through the morass sounded like sweet music in philip's ear he did not dare go to meet them but he watched the coach as it drew nearer and nearer very slowly the horses going step by step urged on by the coachman and by timothy who rode close at their heads spurring them with whip and kind words the wheels creaking as they slowly turned on their mud-laden axles thus patience had travelled since dawn ever since the stranger had brought her the letter which told her that her brother had succeeded in reaching this secluded corner of derbyshire and was now in hiding with faithful john stitch waiting for her guidance and help to establish his innocence leaning back against the cushions of the coach she had sat with eyes closed and hands tightly clutched anxious wearied at times hopeful she had borne the terrible fatigue of this lumbering journey from stretton hall along the unmade roads of brassing moor with all the fortitude the gascoignes had always shown for any cause they had at heart at the cross-roads thomas the driver brought his horses to a standstill already as the coach had passed some fifty yards from the forge patience had leaned out of the window trying to get a glimpse of the dear face which she knew would be on the lookout for her john stitch had escorted betty as far as the bend in the road and within sight of timothy waiting some hundred yards further on then he had retraced his steps and was now back at the cross-roads ready to help lady patience to alight 
let the coach wait here she said to the driver we may sleep at worksworth to-night ah my good stitch she added grasping the smith's hand eagerly my brother how is he all the better since he knows your ladyship has come replied stitch a few moments later brother and sister were locked in each other's arms my sweet sister my dear dear patience was all philip could say at first but she placed one hand on his shoulder and with a gentle motherly gesture brushed with the other the unruly curls from the white moist forehead he looked haggard and careworn although his eyes now gleamed with feverish hope and hers in spite of herself began to fill with tears dear dear one she murmured trying to look cheerful to push back the tears all would be well now that she could get to him that they could talk things over that she could do something for him and with him instead of sitting weary and inactive alone at stretton hall without news a prey to devouring anxiety that awful proclamation he said at last have you heard of it ay she replied sadly even before you did i think sir humphrey challoner sent a courier across to tell me of it and my name amongst those attainted by act of parliament she nodded her lips were quivering and she would not break down now that he needed all her courage as well as his own but i am innocent dear he said taking both her tiny hands in his own and looking firmly steadfastly into her face you believe me don't you of course philip i believe you but it is all so hard so horrible and tis heaven alone who knows which was the just cause there is no doubt as to which was the stronger cause at any rate in england said stretton with some bitterness charles edward was very ill advised to cross the border at all and in the midlands no one cares about the stuarts now but that's all ancient history he added with a weary sigh it's no use dwelling over all the wretched mistakes that were committed last year tis only the misery that has abided until now why did you run away philip she asked because i was a fool and a coward he added while a blush of shame darkened his young saxon face no no i thought if i remained at stretton charles edward would demand my help and you know he said with a quaint boyish smile i was never very good at saying nay i knew they would persuade me lovett and kilmarnock were such friends and so you preferred to run away it was cowardly wasn't it i am afraid it was she said reluctantly her tenderness and her conviction fighting an even battle in her heart but why wouldn't you tell me dear because i was a fool he said cursing himself for that same folly you were away in london just then 
you remember she nodded and there was no one to advise me except challoner sir humphrey then it was he philip looked at her in astonishment there was such a strange quiver in her voice a note of deep anxiety of almost hysterical alarm but she checked herself quickly and said more calmly what did sir humphrey challoner advise you to do he said that charles edward would surely persuade me to join his standard and he would demand shelter at stretton hall and claim my allegiance yes yes and he thought that it would be wiser for me to put two or three counties between myself and the temptation of becoming a rebel he thought there was a world of bitter contempt in those two words she uttered even philip absorbed as he was in his own affairs could not fail to notice it challoner has always been my friend he said almost reproachfully i fancy little sister he added with his boyish smile that it rests with you that he should become my brother hush dear don't speak of that why not she did not reply and there was a moment's silence between them she was evidently hesitating whether to tell him of the fears the suspicions which the mention of sir humphrey challoner's name had aroused in her heart or to leave the subject alone at last she said quite gently but when i came home dear and found you had left the hall without a message without a word for me why did you not tell me then the boy hung his head he felt the tender reproach and there was nothing to be said i would have stood by you she continued softly i think i might have helped you there was no disgrace in refusing to join a doomed cause and you were a mere child when you made friends with lovett i know all that now dear he said with some impatience heaven knows i am paying dearly enough for my cowardice and my folly but even now i cannot understand how my name became mixed up with those of the rebels somebody must have sworn false information against me but who i haven't an enemy in the world have i dear no no she said quickly but even as she spoke the look of involuntary alarm in her face belied the assurance of her lips but this was not the moment to add to his anxiety by futile worrying conjectures he had sent for her because he wanted her and she was here to do for him to help and support him in every way that her strength of will and her energy would dictate you sent for me philip she said with a cheerful hopeful smile her look seemed to put fresh life into his veins in a moment he tried to conquer his despondency and with a quick gesture he tore open the rough woollen shirt he wore and from beneath it drew a packet of letters not only his hand now but his whole figure seemed to quiver with excitement as he gazed at this packet with glowing eyes 
these letters dear he said in a whisper are my one hope of safety they have not left my body day or night ever since i first understood my position and realized my danger and now with them i place my life in your hands yes philip they prove my innocence he continued as nervously he pulled at the string that held the letters together here is one from lovett he added handing one of these to patience read it dear quickly you will see he begs me to join the pretender's standard here's another from kilmarnock that was after the retreat from derby he upbraids me for holding aloof i was in hiding at nottingham then but they knew where i was and would not leave me alone they would have followed me if they could and here better still is one from charles edward himself just before he fled to france calling me a traitor for my loyalty to king george feverishly he tore open letter after letter thrusting them into her hand scanning them with burning eager eyes she took them from him one by one glanced at them then quietly folded each precious piece of paper and tied the packet together again her hand did not shake but beneath her cloak she pressed the letters to her heart the letters that meant the safety of her dear one's life oh if i had known all this sooner she sighed involuntarily but that was the only reproach that escaped her lips for his want of confidence in her i nearly yielded to lovett's letter said the boy hesitatingly i know i know dear she said with an infinity of indulgence in her gentle smile we won't speak of the past any more now let us arrange the future he tried to master his excitement throwing off with an effort of will his feverishness and his morbid self-condemnation he had done a foolish and a cowardly thing he knew that well enough fate had dealt him one of those cruel blows with which she sometimes strikes the venial offender letting so often the more hardened criminal go scatheless for months now philip had been a fugitive disguised in rough clothes hiding in barns and inns of doubtful fame knowing no one whom he could really trust to whom he dared disclose his place of temporary refuge or confide a message for his sister treachery was in the air he suspected every one the bill of attainder had condemned so many men to death and rebel hunting and swift executions were in that year of grace the order of the day i could do nothing without you dear he said more quietly i must hide now like a hunted beast and must be grateful for the sheltering roof of honest stitch i have been branded as a traitor by act of parliament my life is forfeit and it is even a crime for any man to give me food and shelter the lowest footpad who haunts the moor has the right to shoot me like a mad dog don't don't dear she pleaded i only wished you to understand 
that i was not such an abject coward as i seemed i could not get to you or reach the hall i quite understood that dear now tell me you wish me to take these letters to london at once the sooner they are laid before the king and council the better i must get to the fountain-head as quickly as possible once i am caught they will give me no chance of proving my innocence i have been tried by act of parliament found guilty and condemned to death you realize that dear don't you yes philip i do she replied very quietly once in london who do you think can best help you lady edbrooke of course her husband has just been appointed equerry to the king ah that's well aunt charlotte was always fond of me she'll be kind to you i know i think you should write to her i'd take that letter too when can you start not for a few hours unfortunately the horses must be put up we have been on the road since dawn they were both quite calm now and discussed these few details as if life or death were not the outcome of the journey patience was glad to see that the boy had entirely shaken off the almost hysterical horror he had of his unfortunate position they were suddenly interrupted by john stitch's cautious voice at the entrance of the shed your ladyship's pardon said john respectfully but there's a coach coming up the road from hardington way i thought perhaps it might be more prudent hardington brother and sister had uttered the exclamation simultaneously he in astonishment she in obvious alarm who can it be john think you she asked with quivering lips well it couldn't very well be any one except sir humphrey challoner my lady no one else'd have occasion to come down these godforsaken roads but they are some way off yet he added reassuringly i saw them first on the crest of the further hill maybe his honour is on his way to derby patience was trying to conquer her agitation but it was her turn now to seem nervous and excited oh i didn't want him to find me here she said quickly i-i mistrust that man philip foolishly perhaps and if he sees me he might guess he might suspect nay my lady there's not much fear of that craving your pardon hazarded john stitch cheerfully if tis sir humphrey twill take his driver some time yet to walk down the incline and then up again to the cross-roads tis a mile and a half for sure and the horses will have to go foot pace there's plenty of time for your ladyship to be well on your way before they get here she felt reassured evidently for she said more calmly i'll have to put up somewhere john for a few hours for the sake of the horses where had that best be up at aldwark i should say my lady at the moorhen perhaps i could get fresh horses there and make a start at once nay my lady they have no horses at the moorhen fit for your ladyship to drive 
tis only a country inn but they'd give your horses and men a feed and rest if your ladyship will pardon the liberty you'll need both yourself yes yes said philip anxiously regarding the beautiful face which looked so pale and weary you must rest dear the journey to london will be long and tedious but altwark is not on my way she said with a slight frown of impatience the inn is but a mile from here your ladyship rejoined stitch and your horses could never reach worksworth without a long rest tis the best plan and your ladyship would trust me trust you john she said with a sweet smile as she extended one tiny hand to the faithful smith i trust you implicitly and you shall give me your advice what is it to put up at the moorhan for the night your ladyship explained john whose kindly eyes had dropped a tear over the gracious hand held out to him then to start for london to-morrow morning no no i must start to-night i could not bear to wait even until dawn but the footpads on the heath your ladyship hazarded john nay i fear no footpads they're welcome to what money i have and they'd not care to rob me of my letters she said eagerly but i'll put up at the moorhen john we all need a rest i suppose there's no way across the heath from thence to worksworth none your ladyship this is the only possible way back here to the cross-roads and on to worksworth from here then i'll see you again dear she said tenderly clinging to stretton at sunset mayhap i'll start as soon as i can you may be sure of that and guard the letters little sister he said as he held her closely closely to his heart guard them jealously they are my only hope you'll write the letter to lady edbrook she added have it ready when i return and perhaps write out your own petition to the king i'll use that or not as lord edbrook advises then once more womanlike she clung to him hating to part from him even for a few hours in the meanwhile you will be prudent philip she pleaded tenderly trust nobody but john stitch any man may prove an enemy she added with earnest emphasis and if you were found before i could reach the king she tore herself away from him her eyes now were swimming in tears and she meant to seem brave to the end stitch was urging her to hurry after all she would see philip again before sunset before she started on the long journey which would mean life and safety to him two minutes later having parted from her brother lady patience gascoigne entered her coach at the cross-roads where mistress betty had been waiting for her ladyship with as much patience as she could muster by the time sir humphrey challoner's coach had reached the bottom of the decline on the hardington road and begun the weary ascent up to the blacksmith's forge lady patience's carriage was well out of sight beyond the bend that led eastward to aldwark village
End of chapter 5